This is the Shift Podcast. Rob Faye filling in. One of Canada's online stars has gone from the cold to Qatar. Danson Wayne is going to tell you more about his coverage of the 2022 World Cup and what it's like to be in Qatar for these matches and how he's representing Canada on TikTok. A BC woman took her mom's recipes and then transformed them into a full-on business. Natasha Akube-Bailey, owner of Telly's Manila Kitchen, tells us how her side hustle ended up becoming her full-time gig and what it took to transform her idea into a Canadian success story. And we will ask you during our Are You Okay segment, are you okay with public transit? This is The Shift Podcast. Are you okay with public transit? I would not be able to get around anywhere without it because I do not drive. <laughs> Although Calgary's transit system is not uh, not great. <laughs> it's not great. Uh, although I was uh, encouraged, the, uh, the transit is adapting a new strategy of instead of coveraging every inch of this enormous city, they're going to focus more so on frequency, which I think is one of the biggest issues is that if you miss your bus in the city, you are waiting 20 minutes for the next bus or train. Unlike Vancouver, where there's a train every three or four minutes, which is just so, I'm so jealous of. We're lucky that yeah, way. Yeah, we are lucky here. Like, if you miss your bus here, there's another one that in like three minutes. It's, well, in peak time for sure, 100%. So, yeah, no, public transit's uh, pretty good here, except for that one day of the year when it snows. Then it's not. <laughs> That it's bumper boats here. Um, a new report by Move It is highlighting public transit data from nearly 100 countries, so well beyond our borders. And the report doesn't really paint a particularly kind picture of Canada's public transit network. Toronto and Ottawa have some of the longest commute times in all of North America. Aria Najafpour gives himself extra time each morning to catch his bus at Don Mills and Lawrence. What's your average commute time, would you say? On TTC, I would say about between 10 to 30 minutes. It's a story all too familiar for those who take public transit. A few times I get to the almost there i'm running and they take off a new report by urban mobility app move it compiled transit data from 99 cities worldwide and found out of the public transit commute times in all of north america new york city had the longest commute at 58 minutes chicago and washington tied at 57 minutes while toronto commuters experienced an average trip of 56 minutes the most in canada cities that are larger in their dimensions have the issues, similar issues that some people have to live further away from the city center. A well-known reality in Toronto with the average trip spanning more than 12 kilometers, the lengthiest compared to other cities. Despite what some feel is a never-ending commute, data showed riders only had to wait an average of 12 minutes to catch their bus or train. I think in terms of, you know, actual customer experience, uh, we do quite well compared to large cities. Doesn't mean that there isn't more we can do, and we are. Transit advocate Justin Van Det says the report failed to factor in transit infrastructure projects like the Ontario Line and the Crosstown LRT, which have impacted service. There were decades of neglect on transit uh, expansion. Finally, after all those many decades of talk, there's actually action happening. 
Riders can only hope the short-term pain will eventually be a long-term gain. Brittany Rosen, Global News. So Move It is a global urban mobility solutions provider. Uh, you know, they're the companies that released said data and did so as a part of its 2022 Global Public Transport Report. How about this? The average amount of time that people in southwest BC spend commuting with public transit, for example, to and from work, on a weekday is 43 minutes, which seems long. But how about this? In the nation's capital in Ottawa, it is 83 minutes. Ooh. 83 minutes of commuting. That's a lot. Yeah. A day? Yeah. Think of all that lost time in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the- it sounds a lot like Calgary, actually. <laughs> a lot. 83 minutes? That's probably about average for me to go so i live it is a 20 minute drive from my apartment to my mom's house at the northwest side of the city by transit it takes an hour and 15 minutes to get there so somebody in the inbox from bc says i'm a frequent rider on transit and people drive me crazy my question is, what deters you from transportation more? Is it the wait times or is it the sharing of space with other people? Oh, I, it's a big yeah. piece of the 100% puzzle. 100% the sharing of space, especially during peak times like uh, the Canada line here in Vancouver or uh, the other line, the Millennium line, whatever it's called, uh, when it's packed it was i i don't know if it's ever returned to pre covid levels but it was super uncomfortable like packed you in there like sardines and it uh yeah no uh, the reason i bring it up is i think there's a lot of people out there that you know they bitch and they moan and they're like oh you know we don't have enough public transit or not oh, it's not frequent enough or da 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 but then when you have it in a place like vancouver where you have multiple options you can do skytrain you can do the bus you can do whatever people still don't take it because of that factor. Oh, I'd rather just be in my own car, in my own little space. And then they'll say, well, it's because of COVID and I want to do this. And I don't know, man. I just think you can never make commuters happy. You will never make commuters happy. <laughs> Even the it's bike lane people point. are pissed every once in a while. I, I don't know. It's just one of those never-ending circles of uh, of excuses and, and frustration. So anyways, that report coming out. And uh, again, to all you Ottawa, what are they called? Ottawaites? Ottawaans, Ottawaans. I think it is Ottawa. Uh, oh no! Hold on. Someone's gonna. Te- I guarantee da, someone da, da, texts da, da, da. us. Ottawaans. Okay, hold on. Ottawa. It's not Ottawaans. Ottawaites. Ottawaans. Ottawaites. Okay, hold on. <laughs> Don't worry. Let's see. Don't worry. Oh God, no. no this is it. what this is what Google is for. Okay. Uh, Live Googling. Radio. Ottawaan. 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 Sounds very Star Warsy. Ottawa? Yeah, like Padawan. People from Ottawa. Yes, people of Ottawa. Okay, let's move onward and upward and keep this riveting show moving forward. Gentlemen, are you okay with... I'm not quite similar, but in the same vicinity. Are you okay with sailing? Um, it looks like a lot of fun. I, I enjoy a canoe and a kayak and, and paddle boarding, but I don't know if I would ever want to actively learn how to sail. I would go on a sailboat, but I think my attention span as a millennial is so damaged. I don't think I would do well at focusing entirely on just catching the right wind and all that. I don't think I'd be very good at it. I don't think I'd do it. I'm not big into the the actual ones where you like go to the starboard and put up three sheets to the wind or whatever it's called. I Yeah, the jib. 
The jib? I don't know Tighten if I have the, the jib. jib. All right. Well, a mini boat made by students at uh, three Rhode Island schools was placed in the Atlantic Ocean. The students patiently waited to see if their vessel, quote, the inspiration would survive its journey. And get this, 10 months later, it washed up on a British beach. The goal of this program, which was organized by the URI Graduate School of Oceanography, was to teach the kids about the ocean. But they learned far more. This boat was almost like a message in a bottle. It had lots of information about Central Falls and about the schools and about the children that helped build it. Powered by a small sail, and after a 245-day journey traveling more than 9,300 miles, the boat that left New England was found on Thanksgiving weekend on a beach in the United Kingdom. The boat was brought to a nearby school, the Tiptoe Primary School. We're very, very small. We're very small in the middle of the new forest. The URI GSO, the three Central Falls schools, and Tiptoe had a virtual meeting early Thursday morning, asking each other questions from across the pond about the boat's journey and their schools. That from WPRI 12. The students who built the boat were able to video chat with a tiptoe class Thursday morning to talk about the project. They seem to be excited over the fact that there are kids their age that have silly accents. The plan is to continue with the object with more boats planned to launch in the future. So there it goes. Let me just also just note that the silly accent part was a quote from a teacher that they were gen- the kids were genuinely excited to hear a different accent. I would be. I remember I used yeah. to put balloons in the air and hope that somebody would read the note. We did that once or twice in school. Somebody got it from like three towns away, like Stouffville or something like that. It was a big deal. Anyways, didn't take much to impress the kids of Scarborough back in the days. All right, on to the next one. This one, this one's going to hit hard. And I, I already can tell it's going to hit hard because I'm a little bit older than you guys. So, gentlemen, are you okay with getting older? Um, No. No, I'm no. I think at 25 was when I was starting to be like, oh, whoa. And now 26 is a weird one. And uh, yeah, it's not slowing down, is it? And also, I what mean, at like, 25? A- what at 25 made okay. you have a whoa moment? Just, well, just older. And I mean, put yourself back in my shoes, okay? All right, mm-hmm. Laura, my partner, is finishing school. By the time Laura is back and we can get a first place together, I'm going to be 30. I'm going to be 30 and that is that that number and the fact that I am closer to 30 than I am to 20 is starting to freak me out a bit. I don't know how to process it. I'm putting it aside and I'm sure all is well, but uh, I have no idea how to how to how to deal with that right now. Okay, fair enough. Uh, See, I didn't really think about it till 35 and then I was like, ooh, I'm committed to this 30 thing now. There's no going (laughs) back. Now it's 38. Um, I actually feel okay about it. I mean, there's lots of gray showing up in the beard all of a sudden just over the last year. Mm -hmm. I, I, I never had it up until about the last year. I'm not blaming any anything. It's not as a result of working night shifts. It's totally because yeah, of the night shifts. Probably. <laughs> I, I will tell you this. As a guy that is nearing my 50s, I'm 48 and I turned 49 in January. The biggest challenge that I faced is when I was working in minor league baseball, I would board the bus. I'm the only guy that ever got older because all the players were always 19 to 23. So the only guy that aged was the broadcaster. So I started in the 30s and felt like I was one of the guys. Then I was in my 40s and I be I went from the cool uncle to the guy that could be the dad. And then finally, nobody wants to hang out with you the way that they used to. And that was uh, that was hard for me. 
Yeah, but with age comes wisdom, right? Yeah, you would think. You would think. However, I often think, like, I'm like, I would love to go back in time with what I know now, back to, like, Ryan's age. That would be Oh, Ryan's, man, he's living the dream at 26. But I will say this. For the first time in probably my life, I'm letting my hair go gray. I used to be the box guy. I used to be the guy that would go and get the the hair toner so that I could keep it brown and what have you. And now I'm just like, no, I'm going to let it ride. Well, you're in radio, not television. So yeah. <laughs> kind of the old backhanded compliment. I'm a, yeah. I'm a fan of that. Well, there is one nation on earth where every single one of its citizens will be getting younger legally. People across South Korea are about to become a little younger. Right now, that country uses three different ways of counting a person's age. One starts at birth, like most of the world. Under a different system, babies are considered a year old the day that they're born. And in a third system, babies are zero years old when they're born. Then they add a year every January 1st. It can be very confusing and often creates some problems for the legal system. So a new law passed yesterday brings South Korea in line with most other countries using the standard international age. You gave me a lesson, too. This isn't uncommon. Right. So in Chinese birth, we also are a year old when you're born. So it happens. That's right. That's from ABC 8. Presently, most South Koreans use their Korean age in a majority of informal settings. But under the method, Koreans are one year old the day they are born. Another year is added to a person's age every January 1st. So, for example, a baby that's born on December 31st would be two years old the following day. This is very... um, QuickBooks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> South Korean's president was born on December 16, 1960, so he's 61 years old under the international age system, but his calendar age is actually 62, and his Korean age is 63. So according to The Guardian, the origins of Korean age are still kind of unclear. Some believe the system was created by taking into account the nine-month gestational period, which we're also privy to, and rounding it up to 12 months. Others claim that it was created because of an ancient Asian numerical system that did not have the concept of zero. Presidential spokesman uh, Lee J. Myung said a simplified age system will resolve social and economic confusions for South Korean people. Huh. Well, what about me? I came out a month early. I, I say we all just take two off. Okay. I'm down. With I can <laughs> go back to 36. 47. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dog, you know what? My kids always wanted to be older. They're like, man, I can't wait to be 19. Can't wait to be this. They're going to change that pretty quick. Oh, yeah, that changes 100%. Oh, isn't that something? This is the Shift Podcast. Rob Faye filling in for Shane. Good morning, Canada. And you know what? I have to say, this is a segment that I've been looking forward to for a little while since we found out that we'd be joined by Danson Wayne, who finds himself on the other side of the planet in Qatar. He's the in-game host for the World Cup. And I think it is an unbelievable story of how somebody from our neck of the woods finds himself to what is essentially the biggest event on planet Earth right now. So I say good morning, Dancing Wayne. How are you today? 
Hey, I'm doing good, Rob. How are you doing? I, I'm fantastic, and I'm enamored. And the reason I am is because <laughs> your journey is so extraordinary. So before we get into Canada putting their you know cleats onto the pitch, I want to talk about your journey to this amazing moment in time. I mean, we'll talk about some of the extraordinary things you've done there, but walk me through how you became Dance and Wayne. Yeah, so... If I'm going to be honest with you, I started being dancing land as soon as I was a kid. I feel like I was moonwalking out the womb. Um, <laughs> everyone back in Durham region knew me as, you know, the guy who would dance at talent shows at Monsignor John Prima in Oshawa. I would host things. I would, I would just always have fun with people. And then, you know, a couple of years have passed. I had done a lot of dancing gigs around the world. It was fun. But I thought I had to do, you know, the real millennial thing and get a real job. And corporate life <laughs> and i did that i did that for a couple of years to paid my debt and when the pandemic happened uh i had this real you know urgency of uh what am i doing with my life and i don't know if i should be sitting at a desk for eight hours a day i was working in digital advertising and out of nowhere uh one day i went to get donuts i went to get timbits and during the day and a drunk driver ran me off the road and crashed my car and almost left me pretty immobile. I had to go through rehab and everything. And in that moment, I realized uh, life was really too short. And I don't think I should be sitting at a desk for eight hours a day doing essentially not what I'm supposed to be doing. So I started this account on this app called TikTok. Mm -hmm. And I started making funny videos. And, you know, honestly, one thing led to another. I started with, you know, zero followers, zero turned to 10,000. 10,000 turned to 20, 20 turned into 100, 100 turned into 250,000, 250 turned into 500,000, and 500,000 turned over 700,000, and with over 18 million views a day. A day. Um, so my life changed. A day, yeah. So my life changed dramatically to the point, man, where I would go to the airports and people would run up to me like, oh my God, are you dancing? Wayne? I'm like, yeah, how do you know me? They're like, TikTok. I'm like, well, that's bizarre, land. Um, but in that whole, you know, craziness, um, I was getting DM'd to fly all around the world and do things. And one of those DMs was FIFA and it was like, Hey, would you like to host an event at the CONCACAF Gold Cup? It's just the finals. If you want to come out and do something, I was like, sure, why not? I have nothing else to do. I'll, I'll make my way down there. It doesn't matter how much you pay me. Even if you pay me nothing, I'll do it. And uh, that led into a lot of oper other opportunities, including the Arab Cup, which happened last year mm -hmm. here in Doha, which basically was a big test event for the World Cup. Um, you know, I did my thing, which was the same job I'm doing now. They really liked what they saw and brought me back for this. And now I've been hosting the World Cup. But you know what's interesting to me is that you can do something with positivity. And I feel like even just in the minute and a half, two minutes we've been on the air together, you can feel the energy. It's not just a gimmick. It feels like this is actually who you are. And you've just kind of struck oil in the sense that they appreciate who you are and are now bringing you in to do these uh, events that aren't just regular events. We're talking about the biggest event on earth right now. Is it overwhelming or is it right in your wheelhouse? I feel like it's right in my wheelhouse. The funny thing is I, I did, someone asked me this exact same question, like similar, like, are you nervous or anything? Like, honestly, I feel like I was more nervous doing my high school talent show in Oshawa hmm. than doing this. This seems like, I don't know, this just seems fun and being, it feels like being an ambassador of fun. And at the same time, I get to represent Canada. Whenever I get to tell people, 
you know, from all countries around the world. They're like, oh, where are you from? Where are you from? I'm like, Canada. And the smile they get from just hearing I'm from Canada is amazing. It's the best feeling in the world. Well, I would say it's a melting pot, obviously, over there, because you've got the whole world descending on Qatar. Um, I want to talk about misconceptions of what Qatar has been. You know, we hear the stories in the news, and of course, the news is always looking for the sharp, pointy edge of the stick to, you know, talk, talk. But it's a beautiful country that's got some upside to it. Can you maybe share with me some of the things that you've seen during this World Cup experience, um, some of the, the majesty and majestic elements to this event? I will say the, the coolest thing ever is watching fans from all different cultures and countries come together to laugh, cry, and like, you know, in good ways, and just celebrate this sport. And everyone here, it's, it's actually really remarkable being here. There's nothing like this. I've never experienced any event like this in my life where people from all over the planet, it doesn't matter what race, color, gender, Whatever they are, they're all actually here and having an amazing time. But you're allowed to have that amazing time, correct? Absolutely. I only ask that because I think there's a lot of misconceptions that joy and celebration is being snuffed out or it's, you know, there's a there's a gray cloud over this event. But the reality is, is for people that are attending the World Cup, it's pretty status quo, is it not? It absolutely is. It's actually remarkable and i i've enjoyed every second of it there hasn't been a moment where i'd be like oh i gotta tone it down or this and that. i'm like nah i get to be as loud as i want i get to have as fun as i want and the fans get to have as much fun as they want and even honestly last night i did the game against argentina versus croatia and those fans stayed in those stands after the game for hours mm-hmm. and and just partied and had fun and let and you know everyone was allowed to have the there was so much fun. They they actually moved all the Argentinian fans behind the goal net, and they just allowed them to celebrate and you know celebrate their historic win. That's beautiful. Okay, I have to ask you, Dancing Wayne. I want to know about Canada because obviously they only you know got a couple of games in, but that's a big generational moment for us, and we're watching it from Canada. What was it like physically being there and experiencing Alfonso and the boys, you know, going onto the pitch? I have this video and it's me and my field producer, Riley Nimmons, and she's Canadian as well too, which is amazing. Oh, that's cool. And the moment, like she, so she basically makes sure it's way to safe. She gets me around the place and you know, we build her hits, but there was a moment when we sang, Oh Canada. And you saw half the stadium just singing and I filmed it and it, I got goosebumps because I was like, wow, we're really here. We're really here. And, and it's so cool because you see Canadians from all over the planet, all over Canada. You see Canadians from Saskatchewan, Quebec, Ontario, you know, northern BC, like Yukon. And they're all singing, oh, Canada, and loud and, and prideful. And they're wearing Maple Leaf jerseys. And they're, you know what I mean? And it was just, <laughs> it was just, it was just so surreal. Like I would call people, I'm like, hey, Sundin, come here. And they're like, you know who Sundin is? I'm like, yeah, I'm Canadian. Like it was just, it was just mind blowing. It was like seeing your long lost cousin at a family reunion. Like it was so cool to be there and everyone was so, you know, I know it wasn't the outcome Canada wanted, but everyone was just proud to be there. Like we're here and we get to be here in the next world cup and we want to represent who we are. And you know, the reality is we were in a very tough group. Like Morocco yeah. and Croatia. 
Now that people look at him like, ah, uh, we were in a very hard group. In the man. group of deaths. We were not. <laughs> yeah. This was not, this was not easy by any means at all. So I think, I think, you know, at the time, I think Canada was kind of like, oh, this sucks. But I'm like, you know what, man, you guys actually put up more of a fight than you think. Mm-hmm. Like, this was not easy. Did you say that you saw a Matt Sundin jersey? I did. I saw a Matt Sundin jersey Incredible. and a Ty Domi jersey. Actually, I, there's a <laughs> photo. Awesome. There's a photo, Rob, I can send you. And I'm standing on those guys' shoulders and I'm doing a hit. And you can see a blue Maple Leaf jersey. <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure in the background there's a Moose Jaw jersey. And I'm like, like, this is so Canada and I love it. Like, I just love it. It's amazing. I was You, you beat me to it. I was going to say that is the most Canadian thing ever. To not just show up representing Canada, but to drop a Toronto Maple Leaf jersey into the conversation. <laughs> That's fantastic. Absolutely. Um, bef- before we let you go, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate this. I mean, the fact that we're doing a live hit from Qatar right now in the wee hours of the morning means a lot to me. So thank you for your time. But I just want to maybe, you know, close my eyes for a second and have you explain to me the sights and sounds of Qatar. For example, you know, when you leave the venue and you're around the people and you're around the streets, what am I smelling? What am I seeing? How alive is that city as a whole? So this city, like, so like I said to you before, last year I was here for the Arab Cup, and now I'm here for the the World Cup. Every pocket of every inch, there's something going on here. There's a live performance. They they've orchestrated everything. They put mic stands for for pop up artists. There's FIFA stores everywhere. There's food vendors everywhere. The food is incredible here. Like everywhere I go, I'm like, oh, I gotta eat. Like we're always hungry. I'm like, oh my god, everything smells amazing here. It's insane, and it's just so lively because. Not only do you have the Qatari people putting on such a spectacle, but you have the cultures of all the other people. Like I'll get out the stadium and there'll be pockets of like Argentina fans doing a chant in the middle of the street. And then even if Croatia lost, they're doing like their own little circle over there. And you know what I mean? It's just, it, it, there's not a moment you can't look around the corner and something's happening. It's truly, it's truly special knowing that I'm at a World Cup where everything is being hosted in one city, which I don't think we'll ever see again. Because I, it is pretty nuts. I don't want to say, uh, I mean, I'm going to take Canada out of this equation, but is there a different country's fan base that has kind of won you over during this tournament? Morocco. Really? Morocco. But I've, I've done all the Morocco games except for the one tonight because uh, just because of scheduling conflict. But the Moroccan fans, I've got marriage proposals. I've got, I've okay. got people. I've had people. <laughs> there's a photo of me that looks like a Renaissance painting that they have printed out and brought to the stands because they think I'm a good luck charm because every time I've been there, they've won. So I'm like, this is insane, man. So the Moroccan fans not only are so passionate and so excited to be there, it's just the underdog story that you just love. You know, you're like, this is just so cool as an African nation to gone, to be the first African nation to go this far is just so beautiful to watch. Like there is a video on TikTok I posted of, my friend Paco, who is the Moroccan uh, presenter, and it was the penalties against Spain. And I captured our reaction of him winning. And it's, you can't even hear because the crowd is going so crazy, but you could see us like, you could see him crying on me. Like, it's just so oh. epic. It just, it means so much to people. And it's, it's beautiful what football does. 
you are going to be able to come back to Canada at some point when this amazing journey finally <laughs> comes to an end. You know, if Moroccans let you, they might just yeah, adopt if, you. <laughs> if, if, I might just go to Morocco and get married. Who yeah, knows? I was going to say, <laughs> your, your stocks, you might be the Drake of Morocco by the end of this all. But um, I want to talk about the experiences when you finally do come home off of this incredible hide that is stretched back through the Gold Cup and, you know, the, the pre-tournament in Qatar the stories that you're going to be able to share, I know that you're a social media guy. I know that TikTok's your primary platform right now, but you've got to be thinking of a way that you can parlay this because you're seeing things that nobody else has seen from a vantage point that nobody gets to see it from. I, I'd like to think you're setting yourself up for a pretty good little career here. I would hope so. You know, I think I think my story doesn't end here. I, I do have a lot of things planned for 2023. So hopefully me and you are talking again next year. We will. But I... I do think that there'll be a moment, Rob, when I get home and I'll be able to just sit and look at these photos and videos. Because if I'm being honest with you, it's been such a grind. Every day, I'm at, you know, wake up, go to the stadium, five hours in advance. Okay, let's do rehearsals. All right, now I'm on. And you're on again with 50,000 people. You go to sleep, you do the same thing again. Like, it's been such a grind that you can, you don't really even have a moment to kind of sit and think. So I think the best thing I'm going to do is collect all that footage, be like, this was my journey, put it out there the way I want to put it out there and just be like, and just actually soak it in that I actually did that, you know? And as a Canadian to, as a Canadian representing, you know, the world in a sense, it's a, it's a pretty special moment to be, to be here. My final question for you. And I I would ask this only because I know it would be on my radar as well. Your parents, your family, they must just think this is incredible. Yeah, I think my mom didn't believe me. Like, I think my, <laughs> fair. Yeah, my mom was like, are you, sh- like, are you sure? Are you sure you're there? I'm like, mom, I'm here. Like, I swear I'm here. And then it wasn't until I sent her some photos and it was so cute. She would change her profile picture to photos of me. As of, moms like, do. At the status. As moms do. And like, you know, and I think they, you know, they really started telling my family all around the world. And now they're telling people like, oh my God, Wayne. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's pretty surreal for them, I think. But for me, I was like, you know what? I think this was always meant to be. And I'm just, I'm, I'm jacked for my parents. Cause I, and I can't wait to see them. Hopefully I'll get to see them over the holidays. You have been to Cannes. You've been to the Arab Cup. You've been to the World Cup. You have done almost too much for a year. I hope at some point <laughs> you get to decompress and more than anything reflect on this because what an extraordinary moment. What a thrill. It was a pleasure to talk to you tonight, Nancy Wayne. Thank you for making time for me. Thank you so much, Rob. This is The Shift Podcast. Welcome back to The Shift. I'm Rob Faye, filling in for Shane once again. And I got to tell you, as a small business owner myself, I love when I get an opportunity to talk to somebody else who is trying to do the proverbial side hustle in addition to regular life. So what a pleasure it is for me to be able to bring on Natasha Akube-Bailey. It's nice to meet you, Natasha. Nice to meet you, Rob. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So here we are. We're thinking about the rising cost of living. Everybody's talking about a recession on the horizon. I think there's a lot of us right now that are starting to think maybe a side hustle wouldn't be the worst thing. Can you walk me through what it would be in addition to regular life, quote unquote, what it would take to maybe pick up a side hustle? And and how did you do it? Um, Basically, 
picking up a side hustle is finding something that you're really passionate about and just running with it. And kind of like, you know, we're all about monetizing something. And like, if you're really good at something that you do and you're loving what you do, um, taking a day, uh, taking an hour or two per day of your life and just dedicating that would be like my best advice to everyone because that's how I actually started. I started just kind of like making batches of adobo here at home and then just kind of like selling it to my friends and my family. And when the orders started coming in and the word of mouth is kind of spreading in the Filipino community, I was getting orders upon orders. And I like the one to two hours of my day started becoming four hours after my work. And I didn't feel tired at all when I was doing this because I knew the why behind it because I love what I'm doing. Cooking was always something that I wanted to be involved in, but I was so busy. Like I love to cook. I love to experiment, but it was something that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm too busy. But now I'm learning the adobo flakes recipe from my mom. I started getting so passionate about it, making sure that it's the right consistency that my mom was doing it, adding a little flair of my own. And then now it became like what, most Vancouverites would, would recognize it as Telly's Manila Kitchen adobo flakes. So I have to say, as a person that married into a Filipino family, one thing that the parents and the grandparents don't do, the Lolos and the Lolas never wrote down their recipes. It was always just oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, for our production right now, like from, from the beginning, from like 2020, to 2022 it's so funny I have to like take it out of my mom like mom you know we, we have to make sure that we're doing it you know consistently so that I'm not measuring it from my hand mm-hmm. um how many tablespoons would this be and and then it would be her actually showing me in the video so this was during um, the restrictions when I wanted to just do something. I wanted to learn. I, I need a moment from like the hustle and bustle of like the mall because I used to work in a mall and I was a manager and I just needed to have my quiet time. And it was like learning the adobo. And my mom eventually she was like, OK, let's go into video call. And then she's like, by um three kilograms of the pork and then some vinegar or that the putty vinegar. So Rob, maybe you're uh, familiar with this. This is the cane vinegar (laughs) that we like to use. Um, And garlic that's freshly peeled. Like, so it's bulbs of garlic. There's no shortcuts when it comes to Filipino moms. Like they're like, what pre-peeled garlic? There's none of that. Um, That's, that's basically like um, our recipe. And, and the thing is like with my mom, she's like, I don't know, maybe it's like 10, maybe it's 15. I'm not sure. So eventually my husband and I, we actually sat down with her and we were like, okay, show us the whole process. And then I will measure, I'm like, I need you to grab a measuring spoon and a measuring cup so that we're not just, you know, creating it out of the whim so that there's consistency in our products. When I think of mother-daughter teams, I think that there are the best of times and there are moments where you probably want to butt heads a little bit just because, you know, you're so passionate about it. So I guess the reason I bring this up is because when you're starting a business, there are so many unexpected costs and so many unexpected curveballs that you didn't see coming. Is it better to work with a family member or is it something that uh, presents some challenges? Um, Working with my mom, actually, it got us 
really like our, our relationship was already close, but this one is in a different light wherein she sees me as the daughter who actually can, you know, do things on her own and make decisions on her own. And it actually got us a little bit closer. And, you know, like how like sometimes like parents, they, they kind of put you in a box of like, oh, like that's my daughter. She's so hardworking. But then they don't really like see the other side of you until you work with them. Um, it's been a blessing. Like I... Like my mom and I got closer and I can be a little bit more like open to her when it's like, I don't think that idea is going to work, mom. Like, and, and she's like, she's a little bit more um, receptive as well, more now because from, from, from like the home business and turning it into a smaller business and learning how to do things in Canada, because, you know, running a business in the Philippines is different than versus uh, having a business in Canada. There's so many legislations, there's so many like licensing that we need to look into that she started listening to me because she said, oh, okay, at the end of the day, she knows more because she's read this all. So uh, yeah, like, but then, yeah, but then there's this moment where and she's like, well, like, I'm just gonna put my little spin on this. I'm like, no, 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 no we're, we're not doing that. Mm. because it's not her product yeah and and I think it's just being very clear and being and and steering her back to the original plan is what the the roadblock was at one point because like she's like no I'm the mom and I know best and I'm like no 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 yes I get it like I'm gonna take your advice and your wisdom but at the same time this is what we plan for and this is what we're gonna focus on so Natasha, not many people can take a side hustle and make it a full-time job. When did you realize that this was big enough that you could step away from your other job? It was, and and I remember this moment um, very clearly. I knew that I was ready was when my side hustle was literally um, making almost the same amount that I was making in my job. I was like, okay. So it was, it was about a year ago, it was December. And I was just getting a lot of like orders from not my regular clients. And I guess like word of mouth really like, you know, got passed along. Like my social media presence was a lot more um, because I had more time to like work on, on it. And I got written up by uh, Georgia Strait as part of um, a Christmas a virtual market called Makasama and this mm -hmm. is from Shameless Buns and they're good friends of mine so they asked me to be one of the vendors and I got interviewed and then from that interview just kind of like blew up and and that's when I was like okay there is such a market for our adobo fix I know it's such a niche product and not everyone is going to understand it so you know what I am now going to take the time and I'm going to make a decision to step away from my career and this is a 12-year career that I was saying goodbye to but everyone around me understood um and from there I talked to my husband and we're like what do you think and he's like you know what I think it's time because there were moments that I was I I would be like a year ago during the holiday I would be going to bed at 3 a.m just to finish batches for him to deliver at the end of his day so that's when we were like okay we're ready. And uh, from there, we decided to even before even before we, um, we actually went into like legalizing the business and all of that, I actually incorporated the business already because I'm, I'm like, you know what, I do see a future in this. This was about um, June 2021, when I started researching about res uh, registering my business. And um, after doing my research of, is it 
is it better to do sole proprietorship or is it better to be incorporated? My mom is part of this. So, you know what, at the end of the day, I went into owner because I was seeing ads for them and I'm like, oh, this seems simple. Like, because when I started researching on how to actually get your licenses, your business licenses, getting into a commissary, um, you know, getting your business permits and all of that, it was a lot. It was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Well, I also have a full time. So um, I actually signed up for owner and it guided me through and like, what, what are the things that you want? And, and it was like step by step and it's um, owner is a Canadian based um, uh, business that helps um, sole entrepreneurs and uh, sole proprietors and also um, incorporated businesses to manage their day to day, like paperwork mm-hmm. and like, incorporations and they're actually the ones filing it instead of me going through a lawyer so you know like all of those startup costs they kind of like minimize because they're quite affordable i think one of the challenges is we think it in our head and then when the rubber hits the road for lack of a better phrase a lot of people get scared away i mean i was looking at the survey just the other day 85 percent of canadian entrepreneurs wish they had started their business earlier 45% said they were close and never ended up doing it because they got scared of what lay ahead. That is almost one out of two people that wanted to and just didn't do it. Yeah, that's like, you know what, I I totally agree with that. There was like moments that I'm like, I don't know if I can do this because um, with the amount of work that you need to put in, just the, the paperwork and the documentations, it was a lot. But then I had a very supportive like husband and he's like, you know what, like, I know that this is something that you wanted. Like, so I'm going to push you. You need to set aside a time to do this. You need to at least like an hour or two, just, you know, shut everything off and just focus in what, on what you want to do from, from the time that we were conceptualizing it, I was writing things down. What, what are we going to really sell and where are we going to sell it? Who's going to be our market? And then um, after we registered the business, it was looking for like funding at the same time, too. But then at the same time, I had some savings and I I basically used my savings, my own savings, not the merit, the marital savings um, and and put it through the business um, for this year. And that's how we were able to make it, because I was like, you know what, I have some I have some. uh, savings that I had while working for Sephora and I you just used all of it and put it back into the business and now it's just and and now it's just really being tight with um you know what are the supply costs like you know like inflation is happening like things are not as easy to get as 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 before and and really just um I would say like looking into like the best possible like supplies for my clients because they deserve the best so so very quickly, for those who don't know, we've talked about them at length. Adobo flakes, for me, when I think of adobo flakes, a little sour, a little salt, a little garlic, I got a egg and rice and forget about it. Is that the perfect recipe? How would you, uh, how would you serve it's, some adobo flakes? Yeah, so um, our adobo flakes, as, um, we would love to like, talk about it in the market. So it's a fully cooked um, meat, so it's either pork, uh, or chicken, uh, chicken thighs, and it's uh, a brace for six hours. So it's a lot of love that was put into that. And um, freshly peeled garlic and um, some of the secret ingredients of my family. And uh, we just um, uh, we just cook it down. 
until it becomes like dried and crispy. Mm -hmm. And then it's just the love child of like a beef jerky pulled pork. So, um, and it's fully cooked already. You don't need to add anything into it. All you have to do at the end of your day is heat it up in a microwave for 30 seconds and add it onto rice, add it onto mac and cheese, add it on to pierogi. So um, we're trying to make like Filipino food, Filipino, and it really stand out as Filipino. But at the same time, we can have fun with it by adding it to our regular dishes. Like we love some mac and cheese, uh, baked potatoes, like scrambled eggs, fried rice, congees. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with this particular porridge that we love as Filipinos, Rob, but it's arroscaldo. Of course. Um, so that one um so instead of like the garlic chips uh replace it with our adobo flakes and it's really like a it's like a uh it packs a punch <laughs> and um most people like the first reaction is like because you know like i i admit it's not the prettiest looking one it's not like some you know it's not a donut that you know like oh my gosh it's so visually appealing mm. it may it may not look as pretty but the moment you taste it it's so good that you are just literally able to eat it out of the jar so the reason I wanted you to describe it is I wanted the listeners who are passionate about potentially taking on a side hustle to hear it from somebody who's done it because we don't pick up side hustles just to do it. We do it because mm -hmm. we love it. In hearing how you describe the food, I mean, there's an obvious passion there, a little bit of fear when you're first starting out your own business, but it sounds like you had a good support group. I mean, you got to lock that husband down for being the one to tell you that you got to put your time in. You got to do this. Not a lot of men do that. So I already tip my cap to him. And of course, the mom who's going to always be there to make sure that you don't fall as well. It sounds like the perfect situation for you. And I'm really glad that this is starting to take off for you. Yes, thank you. Yes, having a support system and having just like people who believe with with your vision and and your business like truly matters like it's it's not just like my husband my mom it's my friends who have seen me grow as you know like as someone who's working in retail and then venturing into something like this they would always like commend me and like keep going at it because you know as filipinos uh we're proud of our culture i'm so proud to be in this place and time in vancouver because it's starting to gain traction and I just want to be part of that. And, and I just want to show like the younger generation that you can be authentic, that you can be proud of who you are, but at the same time too, like, you know, explore and showcase, you know, your, your, your heritage in your own way. And that's what I'm doing right now. It's just, I'm just, I'm just loving this. Like I'm just showcasing like my, um, my mom's recipe that she got from my grandma. So it's a generational recipe and, and I'm just so proud to represent it. And, you know, like for um, the listeners out there who's wanting to do a side hustle and it's so scary, it is scary, but it's, it's that moment that you choose to like, should I, you know, um, should I leave my full-time job? You don't have to, you don't absolutely have to, like, you know, it could just be like a side hustle that you, that you can, that you can like continue to build on until you're ready. Cause that's what I did. There was, I was so comfortable and I was so ready to just, you know, have Manila, have Telly's Manila Kitchen be as my side hustle and continue to do my full time. But then there was this moment where, and I was like, there is a yearning for Filipino food in Vancouver. And you know what? We have such a great product and I believe in it so much that I will take the risk. 
And, and, you know, for, for anyone who's feeling that way, they have this passion about something, go for it. There is going to be sacrifices. There's going to be risks, but you are going to, you know, as a business person, you're going to grow and uh, you're going to like learn how to take some risk here and there, but really ultimately like focus on your goal and focus on your vision and where you want your life or where you want your side hustle to go. Telly's yeah. <laughs> Manila Kitchen, an absolute pleasure to meet you today, Natasha. Thank you for making time for me. No, thank you so much, Rob. It was so good to meet you. And thank you, thank you for having me at your show. Well, we'll talk again. And uh, I hope I bump into you somewhere because I'm going to bring my food and I'm going to sprinkle some adobo flakes on it. And then I'm going to look at you and I'm going to be like, it was worth the wait. So thank you again. Oh, you have a jar waiting for you, Rob. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll take <laughs> it on me. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.